0: This podcast is sponsored by Arculist. Stay tuned for more information on them later in the episode. What's up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, and this is the Wolf of All Streets podcast, where two times every week I talk to your favorite personalities from the worlds of Bitcoin, finance, music, trading, arts, sports, politics, basically anyone with a good story to tell. I think a lot of people who are interested in cryptocurrencies don't understand the power that it could have on our future i think people have a problem with exponential thinking and understanding how crypto alongside ai and technology are likely going to drive the narrative and what the entire world looks like moving forward well today i have a guest who is that kind of thinker and can probably tell us what we can look forward to in the future dan jeffrey's an author futurist systems architect public speaker and pro blogger he's the number one writer on Hacker Noon, so I'm very, very interested in hearing his vision for the future. Dan, thank you so much for joining.
1: Thanks for having me on, Scott, I appreciate it.
0: So Dan, are we living in a simulation?
1: (laughs) Of course, there was just a story in Wire that was called, of course, we're living in a simulation. I mean, look at uh, quantum physics, right? It's like the idea that you don't know like which of the, uh, you know, the, the, the prover, the proved are exactly the same thing, right? We can't tell the difference between everything that looks like hard space is really just a bunch of, you know, empty space in between things, right? It all is like an illusion. You go back to the Buddhist, they thought the same things about 2000 years before quantum physics came around. So uh, it seems pretty likely that we're living in a simulation to me.
0: And who are our AI overlords? <laughs> Whose simulation Brother- is this? <laughs>
1: I suppose that presumes that you need to have like a creator, right? That you need to have a beginning, right? That goes back to the old questions of God, doesn't it, right? It's like, do we need something to kick it all off? Or does it just start from nothingness, right? And there, That actually is, I mean, you go back to the beginning of the Big Bang and it's largely, it's largely nuts, right? Either there was nothing and then there was something or there was like a bunch of foam that was turning around for eternity and then somehow decided to not be foam and to turn into everything, Or there was an all powerful creator that was like, boom, I have now gone across the face of the the void and I have thus created things, right? Or it was just always there. And none of those explanations actually make any sense whatsoever. And we can't comprehend them at all. So we may have none, or we may have some AI overlords from a former generation that we just can't see. Right. It's
0: it's effectively an infinite regress. Right. Every right. <laughs> every story begins somewhere that needs a beginning, and we can't explain. So you could. There's always a how did that first thing happen.
1: That's right. It's turtles all the way down. Right. That's the way yeah. that it works.
0: So really fascinating. Okay, so let's assume that this is real life, and we have to actually deal with it and contemplate it. Right. Yeah. Why is cryptocurrency important? Why is it such a earth shattering invention and what does that mean for us
1: uh, i'll say that you know we are probably there are some truth in in uh, in reality so i always say like if you if you think every, everything is relative then go jump out a hundred story window and you'll learn that gravity is very real and it has a 100 to zero you know record right so um there are some things that are pretty, pretty real whether we want to believe it or not um but you know, gravity is undefeated you know like it's like the old monk right who said you know the young monk comes to him and says Look, I, you know i'm really really sad i learned in my class you know that you can take any side of an argument and it absolutely doesn't matter you can make an equal case for the side and so the old monk says oh well you know that's that's really good you know so for instance could you tell me that your nose doesn't exist and he goes well of course you know and so then the punches them in the nose and says, what hurts, right? So um, that's <laughs> the answer is your nose is very real, right? And uh, you, know, you get hit and it hurts. But look, cryptocurrency, let's, let's, let's jump into it. I mean, I think I've always said, you know, crypto can be a parallel economic operating system for the world, right? And it can be an analog to cash um, because cash is absolutely getting deleted from society. Um, it's, They're absolutely going to destroy cash. They've already, you know, gone in a number of different directions to try to do that. I mean, you had India outlaw certain bills and then have to backtrack, but that's only because they kind of started too early, right? Um, Right. In the not too distant future, we have central bank digital currencies, which are absolutely happening. And a lot of folks in the crypto space say, "Oh, that's that's not happening." Or why would anyone use that? It's just totally delusional. Um, (laughs) They're absolutely happening, right? And they're going to delete cash, right? Um, So I think you have to have you have to have some alternative. That allows you to disagree um, and, and it allows you to do things kind of outside of things, because sometimes, you know, within a society, things are, um, you know, not, al- you know, not allowed at one point in time and then they're allowed later. Right. You look at something like, I don't even something like marijuana right? L- legislation or whatever, and those things that have changed over time. Or like even you look at something like when you're in a war situation, right? you, you take something like the, the black market right? And the black market in a first world country is only like evil things and, you know, buying, you know, things that, you know, kill people or whatever, right? But in the black market, it might, you know, in in a third world country or in a war situation like we're seeing now, it might be diapers and it might be medicines to save your kid, right? So you you don't want the, you don't want a central power being able to say, great, you know, we've decided this ethnicity or this subgroup or this, you know, hated group of the month, uh, we're going to turn off all of the money and they're not going to be able to do, you know, any shopping or buy clothes or whatever, we're going to starve them out. We don't have to fire a single shot. So there's some, there's some kind of horrible things that I think, you know, central bank digital currencies can bring along. That said, I don't want to go too dystopian on it. I also think there's a lot of value in central bank digital currencies. And I think a lot of people in the crypto community think it's, it's a totally useless thing, but I think it's going to be quite amazing when we have sort of digital currencies across the board.
0: I, I agree. I think everybody agrees that technology is unstoppable right undefeated like gravity yeah. um yeah. and that it's inevitable that we will advance money just like we've advanced everything else using technology i think the concerns obviously then come with privacy and control and the ease with which central banks will be able to enact monetary policy they want to print some money <laughs> send you a transaction they want your taxes take that transaction out they want to know uh, who you paid yesterday for dinner they can see that, right? So I think that that's where the the problem comes. And like you said, of course, that's where maybe Bitcoin and, and private cryptocurrencies, if you want to call them that, or decentralized, uh, step in.
1: Yeah, and, they, and, and like I say, parallel economic operating system, right? They can act as a, a sort of bulk work against those types of things and allow you know people to dissent or allow people to do you know alternative things. And, and sometimes kind of ahead of the curve, right? If you look at some of the things like people wanted to do cryptocurrencies across instant messengers or things like that. As soon as you had kind of Telegram decide to do something like that immediately, like they came under attack from kind of centralized powers because, you know, you don't want this, they don't want that thing kind of flying along invisibly. And, and look, in many ways, there's, there's good reason for that too. Like it, I, I try not to take this kind of absolutist view of things, right? Whenever I think about the future, or I think about how things develop. I try not to be siloed in my own viewpoint, right? Unfortunately, I think almost everybody has their kind of personality programming, how they view the world and they think of it as absolute reality, right? In other words, like if if there's a sphere that's the sum totality of knowledge, we're just a little point on the sphere, but we mistake that for the whole sphere. And what I try to do is kind of step out and see these other points, right? So I try not to see it just from like a libertarian or a conservative or a far right or far left. You know, I try to look at like how these things develop over time. And, And I think that, you know, there are good reasons to want to control the, you know, the monetary supply. I mean, we look at the sanctions right now on, know, on Russia, and it's like basically fighting an economic war uh, against something that you know the vast majority of the world is sort of lined up against. Um, and and that saves us potentially, so far at least, maybe by the time this airs, that's not true, from a shooting war, right? Um, which, you know, is going to be, deliver a tremendous amount of destruction, right? And so being able to enact these kinds of like controls are sometimes, sometimes useful. And you don't want people you know, using it for human trafficking and things like that. So there's this there's this balance that I hope develops in the technology. In other words, as we just look at the technology now, it's just like okay, we've created digital money with no central printer. That's great, but I'd love to see sort of decentralized consensus mechanisms that allow like okay, a two third majority vote allows me to unlock a universal key and decrypt this message, right? Or or you know, there are twenty stakeholders around the world that have like a you know a super node and get to. You know, agree to a supermajority, get this change in policy, these kinds of things I think would be actually fantastic. Right. And I think we're just kind of way behind on doing these things. We haven't been able to kind of get there yet.
0: That sounds like DAO driven government.
1: Yeah. I mean, DAO driven government, although, like, you know, I've done a lot of thinking on, on DAOs in and of themselves. And I think there's probably an interim step. Uh, there's probably a hybrid of kind of a government or a corporation in the DAO. I think mostly a DAO has been thought of as like a way to distribute. You know, a a super smart contract to distribute money, but like, you know, if you look at a lot of the DAO systems, they're they're kind of ridiculous, right? The idea that you like we're gonna we're gonna vote on like who's ordering pencils or whatever in the in the company, like you know, look, corporations are imperfect, but they've been the engines of commerce for hundreds of years. They're an amazing creation, actually, like distributed shareholder wealth and, and distributed risk, actually, going back to like the Dutch East Indies Company, British East Indies Company, these things like this allow the modern world to exist, right? So an evolution that's some kind of hybrid where maybe like the Dow invests certain people with decisions, but there's a check and balance uh, voting mechanism or, or like a public voting system, almost like a a combination of like a Greek Senate system and like a a representative democracy would be an incredible kind of system, right? So I think that's where we have to get to. Uh, I think it's gonna take some time. We're probably looking at, you know, decades, if not 50 or a hundred years for those things to become mainstream, is my
0: guess. Interesting, right. As you said, most DAOs, I think, are sort of ridiculous. People forget that they're still humans, right? That humans aren't great at collectively making decisions. And then you talk right. about then DAOs, DAOs are going to require elected leaders. And then we basically just have government right, within the DAO <laughs> and, and we probably end up in the exact same place a hundred years from now, just digitally. Right. And <laughs> so it really does beg the question of, of where that's all going. But I, I think it also brings up an important point, which is that we sort of have this bipolarity about centralization and decentralization, mm-hmm. right. Especially in the crypto community, they want this full decentralized, against centralized authorities, as you said with corporations, there are certain times when centralization is really important to get things done. It works, right? So I think we need to realize that there's this entire sliding scale between centralization and decentralization and just moving generally in the direction of decentralization maybe is enough without everything being fully decentralized.
1: Yeah, look, in, in, in every type of system, I always look at things in, in, as an abstract pattern, right? And and when you think about each system has strengths and weaknesses, centralization has great strengths and it has great weaknesses, and decentralization has has the same strengths and weaknesses. So if you think about, for instance, the you know the South in the Civil War was a very decentralized army, right? Versus the North, which was a very centralized army. And at one point in time, when the North finally, you know, you know, got this, you know, got their shit together and like charged down. You know through a bunch of different states you know you've got kind of virginia calling out to another state going hey we need some help over here and they're like deal with your own shit we got our own problems <laughs> right and so you, you know and there's nobody nobody like no you're you know there's no admiral nimitz in world war ii you know to say look you're going there whether you like it macarthur and like hazley and you know you're both going to this and you're doing this mission and if you're not in the right place at the right time you better go get there and so i think that there's again there's uh, there's all kinds of uh, advantages and advantages to different, to different things. And you know, to, to fall on one side or the other is is kind of foolish. It's really the design pattern or design decision based on the problem that you're trying to solve, right? And I, I do think it's a pendulum too, right? I think we've seen so much centralization and we've seen such the rise of kind of the nation state in the modern world, right? I mean, uh, and, and there's been sort of so much centralization of power that it is natural, for for when something gets too extreme to kind of swing to another direction and just to, to want to see kind of this decentralization movement. And there's gonna be some value in, in having that around in society as well, both from a communication standpoint and from a you know a currency standpoint and from an information distribute, you know, distribution standpoint. There's a number of different ways that it's useful. But again, we'll probably have to solve some additional problems. I mean, think about the early days of like LimeWire where you know, half the time you're like, you're getting a virus, right? Because there's nobody to say like, we're not gonna allow viruses on the network, right? So people complain about, you know, Apple and in some respects, rightly so, right? To say like, oh, you know, you're charging too much or you don't let certain types of policies happen, but they also, we're, protecting do we really want to, right? Do we really want to open the door where right? anyone can just load wherever they want and say your program can do whatever it wants to do. And now like, you know, a link redirects you to, you know, malware in the middle of the application, like people aren't gonna like that either. So there's always this trade-off that I think people oftentimes don't, don't pay close enough attention
0: to. Yeah, that, that's really, really important point. So you wrote an article that I loved on CoinDesk last year entitled, It's 2031, This is the World That Crypto Created. Mm. First of all, I want you to go into what the world that crypto created looked like in 2031. I also find it fascinating. I looked and you wrote this on May 21st, 2021, which was right after a major crash. Right, this is really <laughs> when Bitcoin topped Generationally, at least it felt like going into last summer when Bitcoin was 65,000 and in 10 days, I mean, effectively corrected, you know, 50%. So, what does it look like in 2031? And how did you print that with conviction right after a crash?
1: I mean, look, I don't, I, I look at things over a much longer time horizon I mean Same. 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years, right? So, individual movements. I've always said that, you know, Bitcoin and you know current versions of crypto are kind of like a banana republic, right? And there's always there's always volatility in a banana republic. Like people are like, oh my God, it's worth a trillion dollars. I'm like, yeah, that's worth less than Apple by like a factor of two. That's you know, we're not even bigger than the biggest corporation, we're still kind of a banana republic, which means that there's a lot of volatility there. And that's fine, right? You know, that that's that's early growing pains. When you look at the early car industry, right? There were there were two, three hundred car companies within the United States alone, all doing very specialized things until you know, they started to figure out how to make windshield wipers in the most effective way, and they started to unite the supply chains and then it starts to consolidate. This pattern happens again and again throughout history through all technology, that diffusion of innovation curve, right? So from my standpoint, you know, crypto technology, which is, I tend to think of it as sort of you know, uh, digital currencies, both central bank digital currencies and kind of decentralized currencies. I tend to think of it as decentralization technology. I tend to think of it as communications, Right, what I start to look at is like, how does this develop in the sort of modern world? Like, how does this develop into the into the future, right? So like, if you look at something like shareholding, right? Right now, uh, we have shareholding and basically the biggest corporations in the world, but theoretically tomorrow, if we have a ton of kind of, you know, distributed, ledgers essentially they're just distributed databases we could have shareholding in anything i could have shareholding in the coffee shop i just went into right and uh, and i might decide that i want to own a tiny little bit of that and get some kind of you know dividend over the course of time if you think about property ownership uh, both from a standpoint of owning like uh, right now the, the only kind of deeds for any sort of property ownership are generally for gigantic you know purchases like a house or even house. a car and it's generally at the at the state level but imagine you've got sort of the centralized property across the board now my bike or whatever has a deed to it now at some level that's kind of control right because they can kind of know who owns everything but at the same time when my bike gets stolen you know the 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 cops are going to know who's you know whose bike it is and like when they pick it up off of, you know getting dumped somewhere on the street right then suddenly then it can come back to me right um and i I can see sort of a distributed ledger for a million things right Uh, even from a kind of generational understanding of like who owns what. So you look at something like the revolution in China, Right Where like the communists came in and essentially just said, "Well, just we, now the government owns all this property, we're destroying every deed, and you had these deeds that were kind of went back you know hundreds of years or whatever, right I look at that even as a sort of transient thing, right, whether that's two or three hundred years, so if you had a property ledger that sort of survived that kind of thing, then there's a point in time when if that you know you know that uh, regime is gone, right that someone might be able to lay in you know an ancient claim to something that they had in the past as well, right so these are the kinds of things that i think are you know uh, that are, are fascinating and there's there's a million other things that i think are coming you know down the pike i think you know future kids are really going to trust algorithms probably more than they do their bankers i think they're probably going <laughs> to sure. go to it you know a distributed liquidity pool to, to 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 lend anything if we look at the lending pools now they're kind of terrible right it's like well you know you put in 150 percent and get out you know 10 percent extra crypto for a period of time eventually like able to take your student loans out on that and like you know anything else that you would want to do and it'll just be a decentralized collateral mechanism and that is going to open up all kinds of new things in the same way that when we came up with the concept of distributed risk that allowed explorers to then go across the world with highly risky endeavors of like you know picking up you know spices from you know far far away and your ship might crash right but if you distribute the risk to a lot of different people that allows that to start happening at a bigger scale and the same thing starts to happen when you can kind of decentralize liquidity and investment maybe now you know micro loans across the board become essentially like something that's super possible and it's not just for a third world country but you know for even even first world countries and you look at the differences that that's made there right like you know a woman's able to like get enough money to start a chicken farm and levels up the entire you know economic prosperity of her of of her village, all of a sudden these things make a massive difference. And I think right now you'd never get a loan for that other than from charity, right? And you certainly wouldn't get it from, from a bank. But if we had these sort of mass, you know, pools, I think you'd have a, a very different scenario. So I think there's just I think there's amazing things coming down. And whenever I gaze into the future, I always see, I always see so many things that are exciting. And then I try to look at both the the light and the dark side of it and kind of everything in between.
0: Yeah. Do they, I mean, do the competitive legacy systems die for all of that to happen? I mean, do, do we get to a point where it's so easy to get a loan, obviously, from some sort of decentralized liquidity pool, then why would a bank even really need to exist in the first place?
1: Maybe. I mean, I think banks, you know, will evolve and I think banks will probably be involved in it in some way. They, they might be like the they might be the certificate of trust on certain types of like you know, for certain types of thing, or they might be the the KYC thing, or they might be the identifier, like, you know, so if you have a decentralized identity chain, which I have thought about a lot about, you might have a decentralized identity chain that's very layered, right? So I might have one that just says I exist, as Daniel Jeffries, and nobody can take that from me, but then if I go work at a company, they add on the layer that says I work at that company or the government adds on a layer that says I'm a part of this nation state or the et cetera, right? And so that might be revocable, but that would give me certain rights and privileges within sort of the you know, the digital ecosystem or the real world as well, right? Um, so I think they might be the guarantors of, of certain types of, of identity or just like, hey, this is a trusted channel. And we're going to do some filtering on, like you know, on the scams that happen within here, or we're going to punish, you know, bad actors in some way with the with this particular protocol. Um, so I think those things are probably not going to go away. Sometimes when you look at technology, the the older version disappears, right? I mean, there's not there's there's not a lot of horses running around on the streets anymore, except like you know, maybe in, in New York Central Park, you know, as a, as a romantic getaway or something, right? But there was, a, you know, so eventually there's a technology that will displace an old technology, but most of the time you see things sort of evolve, right? If we look at kind of Kodak dying in terms of analog film after hundred plus years, yeah, well, fi- you know, film and, t- and cameras didn't die, right? It just evolved into the thing where we got so small, we could put it on a chip and we put it into this amazing new device that now know that everybody has in their pocket they can now take a billion pictures store them and upload them instantly you know across the world and share them with friends right and so the technology evolved into something else and they're still you know digital digital film companies they're just making the chips behind it or they're making the software behind it now maybe they're not as big as uh you know as kodak but they're but they certainly have like power within that and they evolved into something else
0: yeah it sounds like you describe banks almost like oracles in crypto now right? Verifying yeah. the data, which which actually makes a ton of sense. And, and you talk about obviously the horse and carriage effectively being replaced by the car. But to your point, we're still driving cars, right? 100 years right. later, the, we're not living in the Jetsons, we're not flying around. It's just the evolution of the car, but we're still driving cars.
1: And we're still driving cars. And then maybe in like, you know, 10 or 20 years, we're not driving them anymore. We're just, you know, we're sitting there on a call or reading a book or, you know, talking to our friends and you know, because the, the AIs are driving them, but, in, but it's still a car taking us around, right? The car just evolves. And I think it's the same way with most technologies. It's very rare that you get a technology that kind of completely re- replaces an, an old technology. Obviously the gun comes along and replaces the sword. Um, and so there are these kind of, these sort of unique leaps forward in terms of the things that are possible, but they're much more rare than I think people generally, generally understand.
0: I agree. So we live in this future. I always joke my, you know, my daughter's seven, my son is two, I always joke with them that they'll never drive a car, sort of to your point, right? They'll just probably never have to learn to drive a car, the car will drive them, it'll do a better job than a, a teenager staring at their phone. But this frees up endless time for people, right? You're sitting in your car and you no longer have to drive. you uh, Technology is doing our jobs. We have so much more time because of technology. What do individuals going to do with all of this free time in the future that technology is opening up? We all believe and know that cryptocurrencies are the future, but it's still very scary to be your own bank and have to secure your assets. Most of the traditional hardware wallets are hard to use. They're clunky and people lose their private keys. It's not really that efficient. And that's where the Arculus key card comes in. I absolutely love this thing. I've transitioned largely to using it for most of my assets. It's literally just a card that you tap right on your mobile device. You can send, receive, swap, buy, and sell crypto with that simple action. It's literally amazing. There's no cords. There's no charging. There's no Bluetooth. The only person that has access to your crypto is you. You guys have got to try it. And guess what? You can buy it right on Amazon. Go buy your Arculus on Amazon now.
1: I mean, the question is whether it ever frees it up or do we find something to like fill the, you know, fill that void, right? I mean, water tends to like go fill an area that's kind of opened up, right? So if you look at all the advertisements from the 1950s of the labor saving devices of the, you know, the washing machine and the dishwasher and all these things, like, you know, suddenly what are, you know, people are going to do with all that time. while well, they're probably work a ton more than 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 they did. So it's hard. It's hard to say. I mean, I feel like we we'd have to evolve to some sort of Star Trek level thing of like post scarcity. You know, which I'm semi skeptical of in the in the, in, in the near future um, for people to really just be like, great. There's a, a whole legion of poets and philosophers who do whatever they want and are able to focus on that. That said, um, I'm always for technology that allows. More people to um, step out of their kind of day to day subsistence living, um, and that allows more people to express the full potential of their humanity. I I can't imagine how many, you know, Einsteins that were budding, you know, never made it because they were driving a bus, you know, 12 (laughs) hours a day to feed their family, right? Or they were just born in. The wrong nation at the wrong time, you know, the wrong, you know, wrong color, whatever it is, right? At that point in time, whoever is in power that made it very, you know, difficult for them to kind of, uh, you know, actualize their potential. So any technology that kind of helps us actualize our potential, you know, it would you know would be amazing. And I, I hope that we evolve beyond the the current state of humanity. I'm not sure what the kind of the X factor is to get us there. And that, that the idea that we identify ourselves by our work. Right, it's a very new, you know, phenomena. Right, it's like, it's it's something where, like, in general, people work together in a, a tribal or village, and they had it, they had a job, but most of their job was gathering food, right, and like, yeah. you know, feeding their family and spending time, right. And you may be the blacksmith or whatever. There was a couple other specializations. Most people didn't define themselves by that. And then there was increased specialization, which led to a bunch of wonderful things. But increasingly at this point, I mean, the first thing you say to party is, you know, what do you do after you ask what their name is, right? And so there is, there is a possibility that we evolve to a point where there, we have a lot more free time. You know, maybe, maybe we get to some kind of like culture level, um, you know, thing where the machines are running the vast majority of it, right? And e and banks kind of thing. And, and the vast majority of us can do whatever what we want. I think we're a ways away from that kind of thing. Me too. Um, but well, I like you said, the,
0: the free time has to be socially acceptable. Right. And right. so it's sort of like you said, if we still have the same mentality that you should be filling your time with work and that's your identity, all you're going to do is work a hell of a lot more in that quote unquote free time. Right. Assuming that you have a job in the AI and the robots, uh, technology haven't taken it from you in the first place. Right. Perfect. I mean, don't, uh, aren't we living in a world that's naturally, naturally in that manner, somewhat deflationary, right? I mean, technology advances, things become cheaper, Uh, people don't have to work as much. Now, that's not what's happening right now. Obviously, prices are going up. But the natural state of things would be that, you know, you bought a TV 10 years ago and it was $3,000. The same TV is $300 now with more technology, right? And so things advance, they get cheaper. People should theoretically have to work less to pay for those things. And then you should have a renaissance of all these Einsteins appearing who otherwise would have been doing menial jobs,
1: yeah, and I think that would be wonderful and, and and I I just the more we can actualize individual human potential the better and I think I, I never worry about the I mean I have an artificial intelligence foundation the uh, infrastructure alliance and so I spend a lot of time in that that world as well as you might imagine and I I don't worry about you know I don't worry I don't worry about st- stupid nonsense like super intelligence and this kind of crap that you know bostrom talks about I think it's just it's all based on insanity Skynet. like you know they, <laughs> yeah like Skynet right Terminator it's like it's you know it's like yeah, like the, there's like a thing in the Bostrom book where it's like the, the paperclip theory, where like, uh, you know, an AI is designed to, you know, super intelligence is designed to create a, you know, pay, paperclip factory that's more efficient and so eventually figures out how to turn the whole universe into paperclips. And, and people will like give this to me as if this is like a serious freaking argument. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like, first of all, like if it's a super intelligence, like it's just going to designate the job to something, some other lesser, you know, AI intelligence. And second of all, if it thinks that, you know, changing the whole universe into paperclips, that's super psychotic, that's not super intelligent. So I'm actually hoping it's gonna be a lot better than that. But I, look, I don't worry about them taking over and I don't worry about them destroying all the jobs. I, I've always looked at the jobs as an evolution. Like you didn't, you know, hunt the water buffalo and tan leather, you know, to make your own clothes today. Right? And like, you're, you're perfectly fine. I'm, unfortunately, those jobs have disappeared, um, but you're just fine, right? And I think in the short term, like jobs disappearing create you know, create challenges, right? Especially when you have groups that um, have done the same thing their entire life, right? An in individual pain, right? Where they, where they can't be trained to do something else, or they can't evolve, or they're, they're not the type of you know, person that's able to do those things. That's real pain. Society has to learn to deal with those types of things. It's very important. and should not be trivialized in any way. At the same time, jobs do continue to evolve. And, and when I look at artificial intelligence right now, and sort of narrow artificial intelligence, I tend to look at it as like more of a centaur system, right? It's, it's a hybrid, right? In other words, we're working with the AI to do certain things, and it, it kind of enhances our ability to do it. If I'm a material science designer, or I'm looking to do drug discovery, I want the AI to go find 50,000 drug candidates that I didn't figure out, and then I want to iterate on the, the, the promising ones. If I think about music, I want in the future to be jamming on my guitar and I wanna go, look, continue these, this riff with 50 different versions. And I wanna pick that one and go, that one's awesome. Iterate 20 more on that and then play that, right? I, I, so I see this sort of co-creative uh, for the vast majority of the things that we're gonna be doing with these things. And I think it's just sort of like having an external alien intelligence that kind of helps help us along the way. And, and it'll do some bad things too, of course, like everything yeah, is on the spectrum from good to evil, right?
0: Begs an interesting question. I, I mean, actually, what you've described already exists. I can't remember now the, the scientists and the study and the musician, but they've had music that's created by AI and then done basically tests with people and said, is this Bach? Is this the AI? What is this? And yeah. people found the AI music to be superior even to Bach, right? Classical music yeah. across the board. So the, I mean, that what you're describing already exists. But it begs the question, is that future then sort of a post homo sapien reality where we force evolve ourselves to sort of you know couple with this ai to be a new species of human that is sort of somewhere in in the middle of being you know robotic and technological and human do I mean, we become a amor- post- do we become immortal, you know and like i don't say immortal because a bus can still yeah. hit you and kill you but you know do we
1: yeah, I mean, if you can snapshot your mind and back up your neurons or whatever, like, are you effectively immortal? Yeah, look, I think thousands of years or whatever, we start to get to some level of, of post immunity provided we don't blow ourselves up tomorrow, um, you know, with nukes or something like that, right, there's, you know, there's there's a problem. There's a, I mean, we're kind of sitting on the verge of World War III if we're not careful at this point, right? So um, there, are, there are lots of ways that this sort of, and and you see this in sci-fi as a theme, right? Where like, there are a bunch of, you know, got into the galaxy and there's a bunch of species that almost made it, but then destroyed themselves, right? So that's always a possibility. But I think that if we don't, yeah, we start to get, we start to become something different, right? Whether that's through genetic engineering, right? Even if there was a great book, I think on this recently where like, you know, you may, uh, you know, may only have, you know, a, a thousand viable kind of like, you know, births in your lifetime, but if, the AI is able to kind of like, or, or, the, or the Genesis is able to give you like 10,000 different versions and kind of simulate out what those potential folks would look like and allow you to say like, okay, well, this is the kid that I want. Like at some point in time, doesn't that kind of become the way to do it? And you'll have all kinds of resistance. You'll have sort of religious groups and people are like, this is in the natural way. And this is horrible. We should never do this. Right. But at some point in time, like over hundreds or thousands of years, one kind of lives out over the other. Right. And so if you look historically we're not the same creatures that we were then i mean like we're, we're already kind of evolved to something completely different i mean what would you talk about with the with the neanderthal right i mean what would you talk about with with an old human you know you, everything that you would think about would look like magic even the things that you care about on a day-to-day basis, would seem completely ridiculous and alien, right? I mean, people think about, talk about now, like, wow, wouldn't they be, you know, ancient peoples be surprised about cars and planes? Yeah, they'd be surprised about that, but you know what they'd be surprised about? Go open your pantry, and look at all the spices you have in there, right? I mean, and they would be like, wow, that would blow their mind, right? Because the, the entire, like almost the entire economy of the world was packaged like Packaged food. <laughs> <laughs> right, packaged <laughs> foods, right? Salted fish and beer and wine and pepper and cardamom and, and like three or four different spices, right? And there's, there's great histories of the world. There's great history of the world with, with those kinds of things. Like the Silk Roads was a great read and, and also um, a history in six glasses, which talks about almost entire economies, tea, coffee, wine, beer, et cetera, right? These kinds of things. So look, we're always kind of evolving. Do we evolve to some sort of post-humanity? Yeah, I hope so. Um, And and I think that it's almost a natural evolution along a long enough timeline. Yeah.
0: I mean, things shouldn't end here. So you talked about obviously being a fan of anything technological that allows people to have more time to think, be entrepreneurial, to opt out of the menial jobs that they're used to and generally forced to do we're seeing i think the first iterations of that to some degree with metaverse nft certainly with play to earn gaming you know people in the philippines obviously opting out of their jobs to play Axie infinity right do you see that do you see the nfts and metaverse playing a pivotal role in that moving forward is that where this is going to happen
1: i mean look i when i see nfts i think i see the evolution of them as to having like Actual legal smart contracts that like distribute rights and, and privileges along with those things as opposed to things that we have now. So I, I see them conferring actual ownership. I think that's maybe one of the first, you know, useful apps in terms of besides just, just sort of decentralized money. I think a lot of people laugh it off, and it's understandable you're you're buying a JPEG or something like that. But it's but if you look at all the companies that are getting involved in it, right? You look at the Tops trading cards and all these kind of collectibles companies or whatever, they, they see the forest for the trees and they've been involved in the like $300 billion collectibles market for a long time, right, the, the NBA and everything else. So I naturally see that, you know, kind of evolving and yeah, people are going to make their money off digital collectibles, people are going to do all kinds of things. I think it actually started earlier than sort of the metaverse, so if you look back, you know, 10 years most of the things that, you know, sort of govern my life. I mean, I'm a full-time digital nomad. And so if I, I mean, I really don't actually even have an apartment, right? I just live in Airbnbs and Airbnb didn't exist almost 10 years ago. And, um, you know, Spotify didn't exist 10 years ago. And, you know, the, the remote work was not really a thing, even though I've been doing it for 20 years because, uh, but it, I was still more localized, right? I was an IT administrator for a long time. So it was localized, even though I worked at home, because I had to go to my customer. But as the cloud came around, and then Zoom has come around in the last few years, you know, I I can live anywhere in the world. And 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 I do, I, you know, I move around from place to place. So I think these things have like already started to happen. It's still for a very small number of folks, let's just be honest about it, right? And not everyone is going to certainly you know want that lifestyle. I mean, when I tell people about you know, things I do they're like, oh, that's great. Except like, I got this job or I got these kids or I've got this thing and, you know, I wouldn't be able to just move them all the time, right? So I understand, right? And um, so, I, but I do think that what's interesting about that is not necessarily the way that, that, that I live, um, but the fact that there were these technologies that enabled me to choose something that had never been chosen before, right? I couldn't, I couldn't do this 10 years ago. I couldn't have this interview with you and, you know, work with, with an AI company in, in California while being in Europe. And start a foundation that's international, and try right, listen to music where wherever I go, and you know have my you know Netflix wherever I go, and like it, you know get a house wherever I want to go, and then call a Lyft or an Uber wherever I am uh, because I don't have a car, right? Um, but so I think we're going to see more of those kinds of things. The metaverse is an interesting one. I feel like that's been I don't know. I love I love the concept of the metaverse, and I've loved it ever since sort of Neil you know Stevenson came up with it. He was one of my favorite sci-fi authors. Um, and I feel like it's become super buzzwordy in its current version. Like Web3 and Metaverse is like around the corner. I don't see it being just around the corner. Um, I feel like there's a whole series of technologies. like VR has got to develop a lot better. VR is also kind of weird in reality, right? Like the first time I ever gotten VR, I was like, oh, this is amazing. I'm finally having it. And then I was just dizzy and I'm like, oh man, I'm just I'm old, right? so and, uh, <laughs> i got on one of those <laughs> roller know? coasters.
0: Yeah. Everyone was like, yeah. do the International yeah. Space Station and three seconds <laughs> yeah. into it, I was like, oh. yeah.
1: like, delete, <laughs> right? You know, like, so like, I've been like, I, I'm probably not the audience, but I, I think augmented reality becomes even more valuable though, right? I mean, it, you know, we looked at Google Glass and people thought, oh, this is horrible and the privacy thing, but look, when I've got shades, that will like give me a head ups display of, of useful information as I'm walking down the beach or like, Hey, I want to find a restaurant and I kind of blink at it and it shows me five restaurants in Miami and, and shows me a footpath and lighted, you know, steps along the way and how to walk. That's freaking awesome. Right. Or I just meet I someone. And I'm like, you know, I, I don't remember this person's name and it's like, oh, remember when you met this person five years ago and that's the name and their daughter's got a birthday coming up and you're like, hey, Scott, what's up? Remember when we met? Oh my gosh, years? I couldn't
0: <laughs> use that. I went to dinner yesterday and ran into some guy that said hi to me and I didn't recognize him. I would have killed for that uh, feature at that moment.
1: Right. You know, I want those things on my contact lenses or whatever, right? You know, I want, so I think those technologies certainly help us get there, the metaverse potentially in that, um, although I have... I have difficulty seeing some of the potential of it. Whenever I have difficulty with the technology, I try not to like discount it completely. I think that's always a mistake when you go, you know, when you just can't see all the potential. I think there's knee-jerk reactions in crypto all the time. Well, I don't, I don't understand Bitcoin, so it's evil and wrong and stupid, right? Yeah, Whereas, you, you,
0: you, you Warren know, Buffett it. Yeah, great. <laughs>
1: yeah, you just Warren Buffett it, right? I, it's, I don't understand, smashy, right? You know, like that's ridiculous and, and dumb. Uh, but. I, i can see kind of you know telesurgery happening through there like but i mean when i think about like is it better to have a virtual meeting where everyone's kind of floating around as a holograph or something i'm like i guess but i, I try to get out of meetings now already right? it's already sucks yeah. on zoom so why do i want a holograph so i don't i just don't know what the hell we're going to do with it yet and Green. i don't want to dismiss it but it's just not clear to me what we're actually going to do with it so far
0: yeah zoom has made it worse like everybody wants to look at me when they talk to me now but yeah, yeah i'm sorry like what happened to just send sending me a text now everybody wants to do a zoom call so yeah maybe not everything is better and i actually agree with you my you know there's sort of this ready player one vision of the of the metaverse right where we just plug in and go live a completely separate life and we're basically like in a chair with our goggles on right i don't see that i think it will have siloed i like real experiences life. Yeah, we'll have siloed experiences <laughs> like did the different games and the different ones yeah. where you'll go in for an hour and you'll play like gaming. And then I think the metaverse is exactly what you described, which is why I think it already exists. As you said, I think it's an augmented reality where it enhances the things that we're already doing on a day to day basis. So maybe you're in your car that's driving itself and you're wearing some sort of wearable and every sign that you look at you can click and buy the item or get more information or the, sort of the exactly I mean, I've described exactly how you did. That's what I think the metaverse really will be.
1: Yeah, it's it's an overlay. It's a meta overlay on reality, right? And it enhances that. I mean, I think look, there's there's virtual experiences that are amazing, right? And I think that there's Everybody loves to go into like an awesome gaming world with like, you know, I mean, Elden Ring, I, I don't have a uh, next gen console now because I'm I'm traveling, but, you know, I, I watched a bunch on Twitch and I was mesmerized by just how cool it looked and, you know, yeah. the, the the tremendous creativity, you know, around that. And sure, I'd love to put on a strap on a helmet or run around and kill dragons and stuff for a period of time. Um, but I, IRL, you know, in real life is really like sometimes downplayed and I don't know if we want the kind of really dystopian view of, of Ready Player One, right, where you're every like everyone's poor and there's no middle class and we're all just you literally have opting to out,
0: for. you're opting yeah. out of your real life because it's horrible, that's yeah. not That doesn't, that's not better in your life. That's running from it, right? Uh,
1: Yeah, everyone's an incel, you know, like that's just a terrible, that's terrible, right? But augmented reality is awesome. I love that concept. I love the idea that it can be an overlay with additional information right at my fingertips. That's right on my eyeballs. If I want it, Uh, I just think that's, that's freaking fantastic. And uh, uh, that's where I really wanted to see it go. And I could see much more potential for that.
0: But I mean, it sounds like one way or another, whether it's what we're familiar with or not, blockchain technology will underlie quite a bit of what you envision for the future.
1: Yeah, when I look at blockchain technology, like I tend to abstract it out as kind of like moving up the stack, right? If you look at, um, it's, it's a distributed database and it's in a decentralization technology and it's a decentralized consensus technology, right? So if I think about kind of Monetary policy, it could be distributed over a larger group of people, including groups that are to potentially hostile to each other, right? Where they couldn't make decisions. We can make decisions in a small tribal group or in a corporation but when you get much larger you know the democracy it gets messier that's fine but then beyond that kind of groups you know that don't agree at all there's no way for them to come to a consensus but with blockchain you can right because you can make it a protocol and you don't have to agree with the people on the other side you can come to a consensus so it's a it's a way of establishing truth uh, or not, not the truth philosophically, or the real truth or whatever, but like a state in time that we are all agreed to of where is all the money or where are the messages at this point? Where do all the JPEGs live, right? And to me, in many ways, so that's, that's, a, that's a state machine and it's a trust machine and it's a truth machine, right? It's, it's saying like, this is where all the money exists at this snapshot in time. This is where all the message exists at this snapshot in time. And so I think we could do a lot of cool things with that. If you look at the web, like in the early days, we were trying to figure out how to build a gigantic database and a logon system for everybody, and and now everybody kind of figured out the technology. But you have a stupid password you forget for every every single you know thing. It's but it's a commodity technology. Wouldn't it be awesome if there was sort of a unified layer, right? For like identity, where you basically just have your identity wallet, and you're like, okay, cool. I've granted the rights to like this site, and I'm allowed to then you know log on to it and do what I want. And then I've I've deleted the rights to that site, and they no longer have to spend time. Building a login system and maintaining it and securing it, right? They can move up the stack, develop cooler tools on top of those types of things. So when I look at kind of like a distributed consensus mechanism, that's for voting, that's for deciding policies, right? Whether that's in dollar or money or voting or, uh, or you know, or it could be everything from a tribal knitting circle to like a nation state to international uh, types of things. It could be a distributed uh, you know, database for storing information, right? Um, and it could be a distributed identity chain, right? And a distributed property chain. And those things, once they're kind of just solved at that layer, there's just sort of a universal plugin to it. We kind of move up the stack and solve more interesting problems. And that's always what you do. If you look at something like early days of the internet, we're all trying to figure out how to code HTML you know, in college and it looks crappy and we're all using the the, the, the stupid guy like shoveling, you know, in, in, in development. And now, you, and then all of a sudden you get to a point where Apache comes out in PHP and all of a sudden MySQL. Okay, and now once you have those technology layer, you've moved up, now, okay, WordPress comes out. Now WordPress runs, you know, 700 million sites or whatever. And, and you know, crappy designers like me don't need to know a bunch of things. I can do a little Photoshop, I can do a little coding, I can do a little design work, and grab a template, I can put together a page that looks incredible. Right. And, 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 you know, hundreds of millions of other people can do it too. They move up the stack to solve additional problems. Those plugins come in and that's always the way the technology develops. It's it's about moving up the stack. You solve a problem that was unsolvable at one level. And then when somebody comes up with the solution, finally, everyone goes, oh, of course. But then the hardest part is that initial breakthrough, making the the first light bulb.
0: Right, zero to one. But once
1: it happens, you get a bunch of smart minds that can iterate on it, make it better, smarter, longer lasting, et cetera. Boom, and all of a sudden, the smarter minds are able to blow up the stack and solve more interesting problems.
0: Yeah, I have about a hundred more questions, but no more time, unfortunately. But you're you are you are invited back anytime. It's one of my favorite conversations by far that I've had on the podcast. I hope everybody listens to it. So, where can everybody follow you and keep up with you after this?
1: Uh, so there's, you know, there's Twitter, there's Dan underscore Jeffries1. Make sure you put the one on it. Or there's Dan Jeffries who studies the um, the uh, asexual reproduction of tree frogs at Dan underscore Jeffries. So um, and we hard acting to be with. Uh, yeah, there's uh <laughs> there's there's me there's there's medium, you know, at Dan. Uh, Jeffries, uh, and then there's uh there's my artificial intelligence foundation, which is the AI infrastructure.org. So those are the major places that people can find me in and uh, I appreciate you having me on the show. It was, it was a lot of fun. It was a great conversation. I appreciate you taking it in a hundred different directions.
0: I, yeah, well, I do have ADHD, so I never know where my mind's going to go. But <laughs> as, I, as I like to say to my guests at the beginning, I don't really know what we're going to talk about. It's sort of based on where the conversation goes, and I love the direction this went. And as you know, you know these can go for hours, right? If you just start <laughs> thinking of the, the possibilities of the future and the potential, it's really endless. So we will do this again. Thank you once again for joining.
1: Thanks so much. Thanks for having me.